It's good to be here. We are dealing with John chapter 11 this morning, a very familiar passage, which is dealing with the resurrection of Lazarus. So most of us know it. We probably learned it in our Sunday school lessons as far as the resurrection is concerned. But there may be some things that we may have overlooked as far as this grand and glorious passage. We know that there are seven miracles in the book of John, seven miracles that are there in order that we might believe. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That, that's, that's why we have these seven miracles, and they are grand miracles on a grand scale handpicked by the Holy Spirit in order that we, we might come to the final conclusion that this indeed, this Lord Jesus Christ is not just Son of Man, but He's also Son of God. Oh, you see, that gives Him His attachment to heaven. That gives Him His power and right to die for the sins of the world to redeem mankind. That He is indeed Son of God. Let's turn then, if we could, to John chapter number 11. Now, a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and his sister Martha. And it was that Mary, this is Mary, which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. And so we have him identified very specifically as to who we're talking about. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified. We'll stop there in just a few minutes. We'll go back and hopefully we'll be able to cover quite a bit of what is going on here. What is being taught by this great miracle? It is the pinnacle miracle. It, 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 it is the pinnacle. We had all the miracles that went before. We had the water turned into wine in chapter 2. We had the healing of the nobleman's son in chapter 4. The healing of the man of Bethsaida in chapter 5. The feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6. In chapter 6, the latter part, we have Jesus walking on water and then in 9, we have the healing of the man born blind. You can see the progression of the miracles. This is a man who was born blind. There is nobody in the Old Testament that was cured from blindness. That is exactly what they said. Man, we, oh, we've never seen this before. This is crazy. He's taken a man that was born blind, and with his creative abilities, he's able to make what is missing in those eyes and make those eyes see again. And then here we are in chapter nine, uh, chapter 11, and we have one who is dead made alive again. You may say in your own mind, you Bible scholars will say, well, wait a second. The Lord Jesus Christ healed uh, Jairus' daughter. The Lord Jesus Christ healed the, the, uh, the, uh, the widow of Nain's son. You remember that in that scene? They were in the place called Nain, that city of Saint, uh, Nain. And there, the, the little platform that they carried this man on, probably was not a boy, it was probably a man. 
But being the fact that that was a widow, that was her sole support, you see. That's what, that's why the Lord had tremendous compassion in that situation. Jairus's daughter, this was his only daughter. And so the Lord had tremendous compassion. And it says that he healed them both. Isn't it amazing? Think about it. Did death ever make its way in under the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ without the life giver giving life back again? Never. Never. Whenever death passed his way, death was converted into life. That's his job. He is the life. He is the resurrection and the life. And we'll see that as we go through here. But there's a difference in these miracles. Why was this one different? Well, let me tell you why it was different. Jairus' daughter was dead only a very short time. And and some of your naysayers could say, well, he may have just revived her. You know, they pump on the chest a little there. They get the heart going again. Everything's good. Dead for a very short time. The widow of Nain's son, dead for a very short time. It says he touched that, that platform that that guy was sitting on. And he stood up and started talking. That freaked me out, man. Woo, that would freak me out. But if you're going to walk with the Lord, you can expect that kind of thing. But a very short time, we have this miracle, four days in the tomb. To the point where, as the Lord Jesus Christ made his way to that tomb, uh, Martha said, oh, Lord, oh, you don't want to pull that stone away because he stinks by now. You know that after 24 hours, your body, the bacteria that works so well inside your body, that is a great influence, a positive influence to your body, becomes your greatest enemy. Once you die, all those cells begin to be attacked by that bacteria, and you rot very quickly. A Jewish funeral takes place immediately. They don't embalm. Neither do those who who believe in Islam. They don't embalm. There's no such thing as bombing. They take this body right away after death and they start processioning it to whatever burial, whether it be a cave or whether it be in the ground, whatever it is, they want to do it right away. But here's what the Lord said. He said, I'm going to wait two days. And he said, no, I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm waiting two days. So that they might believe. What was he looking for? He was looking for Lazarus to be good and dead. Real good and dead. This man actually stunk. He was really good and dead. The teaching that was going on here was very, very precise. For those of the the creation, humanity on this earth, it's very, very clear. And we just got through going through it. But these things are written that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That's for us. Okay. What about for God? Well, right there it says for the glory of God. Verse number four. So that but for the glory of God, that the son of God might be glorified. But I want you to notice how that's worded. That phrase is very, very interesting. Look what it says. It says, Uh, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified. Now, what if it said this? That for the glory of God and for the glory of the Son of God. doesn't say that, does it? 
want you to notice the way it's written. Because they too are one. If you've seen me, the Lord Jesus Christ, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And that's why it's worded the way it is. Don't just skip over that. It says that the Son of God might be glorified. As the Father is glorified, so the Son of God is glorified. They are intertwined. The wording is very clear, isn't it? So there's what's in it for God. What's in it for us? That we might believe that Jesus is the Christ. That is the anointed. That's the Old Testament anointed. That's the Messiah. The Christ. The Son. Go farther now. Let's go farther than that. The Son of the living God. That's in it for us. But I think there was something else happening here. And I want you to go to Colossians chapter 2. If you're here on Wednesday night, you're going to, you've already, oh boy, you've been into this already. But it just blew me away. Sometimes the Spirit of God just throws things and I got to say, wow, this is amazing. Verse number 14, Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 14. Now listen to this. Blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way and nailed it to his cross. Now listen to chapter, verse 15. There's something going on here. What we have stated in the word of God is that for mankind that we might understand that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. For God, that he might get all the glory. We know that. It's stated in the word of God. But there's this unseen world. There's this unseen world. And the Lord Jesus Christ was dealing with that unseen world right here in this situation that we have. Verse number 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers... He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. I want you to see this. There was the Lord Jesus Christ standing at that tomb. And the Bible says that he with a loud voice says, Lazarus, come forth. Oh, the enemies. Foul, they cried, foul. Foul indeed. With sin, you see, came death. And so death was passed upon all men. How did he disarm the enemies? Well, we've got to find out what they're armed with first. What is their greatest armor? Death. And the Lord was saying, over, done with. This miracle is a precursor to the... The coming back of the Lord Jesus Christ from the grave. That's what it is. And the Lord Jesus Christ was challenging the authority of death. That's what the greatest enemy is. The the greatest weapon of the enemy as they pull it out is death itself. And he said, no more. No more death. The enemy might have stopped, stepped back, and I, I, I get a little freedom here. He may have stepped back and he said, no, Lord, Lord, hey, no, no, you can't do that. Remember the rules. Remember the law that was established there in that garden. And the Lord said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Turn aside. And they bowed their ugly heads in absolute submission turned aside and he turned to that grave that tomb 
and he cried into that tomb, and death came out as life. Well, you see, if the Lord Jesus Christ would have gone back two days earlier, let's say that he decided, oh, man, look, i got to report that Lazarus is sick. Oh, we got to go now. We, we, we need to get on down there. Oh, Lazarus wouldn't have been good and dead, would he? He said, I waited for a good reason. There'd be no questioning that this man was truly dead. And the enemy was served noticed that day. But the resurrection of life is on board now. And that grave that could not hold Lazarus will not hold the Son of God either. Because what he was doing was he was snatching their greatest weapon away. He was tearing away that greatest weapon called death. See, I'm going right to the heart of the thing. I'm going to get rid of death. And so the Lord Jesus Christ said those words. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now listen, this is the evangel. Here's the evangel. Here's the gospel. Do you believe this? That's what he says. Do you believe this? The resurrection and the life. Whenever death was introduced to him, it went from death to life instantly. When he touched that platform that that young, uh, young man that, that was his mother's only support, when he touched that platform, he came to life. Oh, don't you see the enemy? Just, just, their heads are just spinning. The whole unseen world. What? Is going on. You remember what the Pharisees said later on? They said, What do we do about this? What are we going to do? This is too great. It's too magnificent. If he, if he keeps up this way, well, they'll all believe. Let's go back. It says this, now a certain man was sick. Verse number two, it was that Mary which anointed Jesus with the anointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose, Lazar, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest. Now this word love is interesting because it's phileo. It's not agape. Well, that's, that's the Lord. That should be agape, right? The Lord only refers to agape. We get this idea, this crazy idea, that agape love is the only love that's sanctioned by God. No, it's not. No, here is what he's saying is, the, the sisters are saying, listen, uh, Lord, this is the one you like to spend time with. You really like to spend time with. You communicated with him. They, they were, they were uh, hospitable beyond measure. Every time they went into Bethany, there was the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's not so bad. I mean, there's the Lord Jesus Christ, and you, you feed him a little din-din, and he'll be good, he'll be happy, and all that good stuff. What is, what's with him? An entourage. Could have been 100 people. That's like Thanksgiving dinner on steroids, folks. There was at least 12 disciples. What about all the other followers that came along? And here they were, these two sisters and this brother, and they opened their house, and they opened their house, and they opened their house. I don't know how many times. 
they open their house. No wonder when, when the Lord Jesus Christ came in, I think it was Luke chapter 10, when he, when he came in and, and, and he sat down and there's this huge entourage of people and, and Martha's saying, oh boy, let's get to the cabinet, see what we got in there. And, and she's going completely nuts and Mary's sitting down at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, gleaning from him, worshiping him, being in his aura, just being in his presence. Sounds like a good thing, right? Absolutely was a good thing. Martha, Martha, you're just troubled about so much here. Don't be so troubled about this. Wait a second. There's got to be 50 people in here. What do you mean don't be troubled about this? Well, maybe if Martha would wait around a little bit, he might have picked up and and got in the kitchen and fed it himself. He did feed 5,000, didn't he? Maybe she was a bit hasty. He fed 4,000 on another occasion. We don't know how many other times. It isn't recorded in scriptures. But whenever there wasn't a meal to be served, why, there was the Lord Jesus Christ. He puts on the apron. You know, he put on the apron. He just sits there. Boom. Uh, out it comes. Maybe she didn't wait long enough. She became so comforted about. And What host, though? And he loved being there. He loved being with them. This is why this phileo here, this love. This love is phileo. He loved being with them. Whenever he got into Bethany, he knew where to go. Here was a town called Bethany. You know, when I think of St. Louis, I think of, well, there's the arch, right? Or in Paris, you've got the Eiffel Tower, right? That's, that's the way you think of cities. How does the Lord think of cities? Ah, the believer's there. That's how he thinks of cities. Bethany, ah, Mary. Bethany, Mary. House in Bethany, Martha. Lazarus, he's hanging in there too. Doesn't say anything. Seems to be almost mute. Doesn't say anything. But he's there. And I love his presence too. I love these people. They're very hospitable. They open their house. What a ministry. What a ministry. What an ongoing ministry that takes place here. When Jesus heard that he said... And he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified. Now, Jesus loved. Now, there's agape. It's a different form of love. Agape. That's, that's the one that, that loves even your enemies. You know? The, 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 the phileo type that, that, that loves to be around someone because they're just in joy to be around. And, and the, the, the agape says, I love you even if you hate me. Oh. Well, that's God's love. And here we have God's love. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let's go into Judah again. His disciples say unto him, Master, <laughs> like if the master didn't know, I suppose, the Jews of late sought to stone thee. Well, that's back in the end of chapter 10. Her brother's going to take chapter 10, but that's exactly what they did. They tried that on numerous occasions. They tried to silence the witness, you see. We, we've got to silence this guy. He's jeopardizing our place and our nation. Our place and our nation. That's what he's doing. So we've got to silence him. His disciples say unto the master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee and goest thou thither again. You're going to go back there again? These people are serious. 
They were probably saying it not only on the, on the account of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were probably saying it on their own accounts too because they, they were probably in jeopardy. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this day. But if any man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. Here you have the Son of the living God doing what none of us can really do. He was walking in the absolute perfect will of God the Father. And so what he's saying is, I have a certain number of days in the daytime, in the light. And as long as I am in that light, you can't touch me. Now you guys come along. I know the will of God the Father. Now, do, we, we, do we have that kind of perfect knowledge of the will of God the Father? Not necessarily do we have that kind of perfect knowledge, but in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ, he realized that it wasn't time yet. He was going to die very shortly, just a week or two later. He was going to die on Calvary's cross. That's why this miracle is situated where it's at. So that we begin a precursor to his own resurrection from the dead. But now he says there's 12 hours in a day. With those 12 hours in a day, I'm, I'm still in the day, guys. Just relax. Just relax. He had a handle on these things. You say, well, you can preach that, that health, wealth, and prosperity gospel here. You know, those who are uh, 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 loving the Lord and walking in faith with the Lord while they never see sickness and they never see poverty and all, oh, please. What does it say here? And Lazarus, whom thou lovest, is sick. Well, that goes right against the whole thing, doesn't it? The health and wealth and all the aspects of that, that goes right against the grain of that. Listen, you live long enough, you're going to have problems. You live long enough, you breathe long enough, and you're going to see problems while you're on this earth. This, this idea that, that somehow or another we're just going to roll through life and, and everything is just going to be uh, roses and, and we're never going to have a lack of anything. We're going to have everything, our little heart desires and all that stuff. That is nonsense is what it is. We, we don't look for a city here. We look for a city whose builder and maker is God. Yeah, we're, we're looking towards heaven, aren't we? And if you're not, you're going to be sorely disappointed. If you think that somehow or another your place is here on this earth, this earth is going to nothing but disappoint you as we go through. Jesus answered, verse number 9, Jesus answered, There are not twelve hours in the day. If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, and because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walketh in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go, that I may awaken him. Then the disciples, Lord, if he sleeps, he's doing well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. The resurrection and the life. It is easier for him to wake the dead than it is for you to wake your teenager on Saturday morning. And so they're, they're, they're talked to almost interchangeably. 
sleep and death. But here's where the Lord is going to get very specific. Maybe he wasn't very specific before, but he's going to say, that man's dead. He's not just dead. He's good and dead and he smells bad too. He's real dead. So the Lord looks at death no more different than you look at waking your child or waking your husband or wife or whatever in the morning. Why? Because he's the resurrection and the life. So the disciples actually said to him, listen, Lord, if he sleeps, he's doing good. I mean, he's sick. Isn't it good to get rest when you're sick? Let him sleep. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sake that I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, which is, it means twin. We don't know who his twin was. Unto this fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Ah. Thomas is a believer, but he's an Eeyore believer, isn't he? Oh, let's just go. Let's get it over with. We're going to die anyway. Let's just get it over with. Let's get on down there and we'll all be roasted alive and it'll be over with. Oh, great outlook, you know, super attitude. What a positive attitude. Oh, we do have yours amongst us. Don't, 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 don't condemn them too bad. Thomas has a lot of good points about him. He really does. But in most cases, he kind of looked at the dark side of what was going on. Then when Jesus came and found that he had lain in the grave for four days already, now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 uh, furlongs off, about two miles. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. And so what would happen is there would be this mourning period. I don't know how many days it took, a total of seven days that you would actually mourn. And what they did is they had uh, the, the whole city in this case. It, it appears that probably the good part of Bethany was there with the, with the sisters. They were very, very well known in this city. Maybe it was because it was so hospitable. Maybe it was their communion and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that made him so hospitable. But nonetheless, they all knew them. And so you had this mourning going on. And you asked, you had hired mourners that would come in. And they were pro-mourners is what they were. These pro-mourners actually could wail up a, a, they wail up a storm, man. They're good at it. Well, they may not have any real heart of what's going on with the individual. But they're paid mourners is what they are. So you have this whole entourage, this whole city. And they're all mourning at the same time. Then when Jesus came, uh, okay, okay, now Bethany, verse 18. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, but for, okay, verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, ended and he met him, but Mary still, uh, sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. That's exactly true. And that's why he wasn't there. Listen, if he goes into the presence of death, what happens? 
If he would have gone two days earlier, what would happen? Lazarus wouldn't have died. She's exactly right. She absolutely got that exactly right. And then later on, Mary's going to say the very same thing. Um, Verse 22. But I know that even now, whatever thou wilt ask of God, God uh, will give it to thee. Jesus saith unto him, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection of that last day. In other words, she had her theology very, very correct. Okay. She understood the theology in the whole thing. We know this from the Old Testament that, that knows that there's going to be a resurrection. Oh, the, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in a resurrection, but there is going to be a resurrection. It was proclaimed in the Old Testament. And also, Martha probably sat there, and she was washing dishes, and she was preparing this, but her ear was attuned to what was going on in the living room with, with Mary. And she was hearing and hanging on every word he said. And so you see, her theology was very, very correct. Now, this is the problem. We can go to a funeral of a friend's uncle, and we can look inside that box, and our theology is all perfect in perfect order. Well, we know he was saved. So absent from the body, present with the Lord. There's no no, uh, challenge to our theology. Why? Because we have no heart connection with that individual that's inside that box. Now, here we have a different situation. Martha says, I I know about the resurrection. Lord, I, I know about the resurrection. I've got all my theology absolutely correct. But it was breaking her heart that her brother was in that box this time. Oh, you see, your theology is going to be challenged. Friends, your theology is going to be challenged. And it better have deep roots that go way down deep when you look inside that box and you see your wife or your husband or your mom or your dad. Or even worse, this is the worst I've ever been to. was a child. That one shook me in my bones and I didn't even know the child. We had gotten to the funeral home a little bit early. And I noticed that the doors were closed and there's a man standing in front of the doors. And I heard wailing like I had never heard before in my life. That was their child inside. Oh, you see, their theology sometimes can smash into your heart. And your theology better run real deep or you're going to lose it. This was one of those situations. These ladies, their livelihood was probably this man, Lazarus. They were probably not married. I'm sure they weren't married. So they depended on him. They loved this man. This man took good care of them. This was their heart. This is when your theology rams into your reality. And then things get real different. It happened to me recently. When I looked in the box and I saw my dad. Oh, I know all the verses. I've done a number of funerals. I can rack them off, boy. But now it better go deeper than that. It better really mean something to you. 
Because now your theology is ramming into your heart. And that might be a different story. That's what was going on here. Martha was saying, I, I know. I know, Lord. I know. But that's my brother. Jesus said to him, I am. He didn't say, I know. You know what? I know the resurrection and the life. Don't worry. He didn't say, I know, as in God the Father being the resurrection and life. I know all about him. I know who he is. I, 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 I can tell you. I can tell you all about him. I can tell you about the, the, all the theology behind it. No, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die? What? What's he saying? Well, if we believe the scriptures, we'll go through the process of dying. It's not a lot of fun. In many cases, it can be almost torment. But the Bible tells me that as soon as I am absent from that body, instantly, I'm present with the Lord. Where's death? Oh, the process of dying? Yes. He never promised us uh, some sort of pass from that. No, no. But where's death? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ... What were we just singing? They're asking a question in that song, weren't they? Will you rise? Will you rise? Talking about the dying, the human body. But we have the, 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 pro, the promise and hope that one day there's going to be this blast of a trumpet that is going to come from the heavens and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back and take his bride home with him. Listen, I want an empty building. I want an empty building. I want the chairs to be completely empty and completely silent in here. And let the pagans have it. They want to rebel against the grace of God. Let them have it. They can have it all. It's all going to burn anyway. Can you imagine if upon that trump sounding you're sitting in this building and you look around you and you're the only one still sitting. Still sitting. I think I'd have a heart attack right there. Will you rise? Oh, I pray you do. So we have this this glorious resurrection. And I want to get to the last part because there's three groups in the last of this chapter that are very, very important. I think there's a lesson. There's a tremendous lesson in those three groups. Uh, but we have this resurrection. We have this, this 
powerful voice of the Lord Jesus Christ crying into this tomb, and Lazarus comes forth. And, and then it talks about all the things that Lazarus did. They sat Lazarus down in the middle, and they all got like a big console, and they said, now, what happened in there? What happened in there? What? Not a word is said. I like what John MacArthur said. He said that he came from the, from the grave, they pulled his grave clothes away, and the curtain on that scene fell, and that was it. All we want to do is, oh, well, how was it? <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. Tell me about it. That's what they liked to have done with Paul, but they got to the point where they said, no, I ain't even asking him. Because Paul said, no, nah, things that are not even able to be mentioned. Leave it alone. Why is the emphasis not on that? You would have thought, man, they would have just unloaded with questions. Where were you? What did you see? Not a word is said. When the Lord Jesus Christ came to that place, we have that famous short verse. Jesus wept. There was the the professional mourners, and there was this whole big entourage of humanity and and when and when Mary went out and they went to that tomb and they both went to that tomb they carried with them this whole city so that there be a lot of witnesses to this grand glorious miracle they wanted to make sure there was a, a ton of witnesses to what had transpired here and it says that Jesus wept now did he weep over Lazarus he said well he's a poor guy you know, man, he probably stinks. She's probably right. She probably does stink by now. No. He knew what Lazarus was going to be. In just a few moments, Lazarus is going to be up, grave clothes knocked off, and he's going to be on his way. He wept because of sin and the effects of sin on humanity. It's an awful thing, isn't it? I remember when I was a kid, I, I saw this movie when I was a kid. And, and the movie depicted a, 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 a person, a very young girl. She was very young and very beautiful. And, and somehow there was this ability, uh, uh, way out of reality now, to, to age her very quick. And right before your eyes, you see this beautiful young thing. And, and her face just starts becoming deteriorated. And, and it gets wrinkly. And, and, and she gets all curled up and wrinkled up. And I said, ooh, that is just, oh, that is awful. Here I am. That's life. That's the effect of sin, isn't it? On my life, with sin comes death. And so death was passed upon all men for what? All have sinned. And so we have this dying process. We are born into the world and we begin this process of what? Dying. We begin to deteriorate right in front of our own eyes. Here I am. It's not a horror show, but, you know, my neck is all good. All that stuff, you know. And you think, oh, man, I was going to get that thing and hang up there. You know? I try to try to hold it off as much as I can, but let me tell you, you can stay you stay around long enough and you're gonna see it. Yeah, that Mr. Renth, he looks terrible. Man, that guy looks like he should roll over somewhere and die. That's what it's gonna be. That's what he wept about. This awful effect. The the love of two sisters 
that lost their brother. And their hearts were just tearing out of them. That's what he wept about. And all the other heartaches that were going to come and all the other heartaches that were in the past. That's what he wept about. Never in the scriptures does it ever record in the New Testament that the Lord Jesus Christ laughed. Isn't that amazing? Never records that he laughed. You see, the weeping, it it binds itself between the Lord Jesus Christ and his creation. It binds the two together. Laughter pulls apart. He never laughs. He only weeps. When he walks into Jerusalem and he sees them as a, as a, and he wants to gather them as a, as a, uh, a chick gathers his hens, he wants to gather them up. His heart is to gather them up. He weeps, doesn't he? He only weeps. He never laughs. Verse 38. Jesus therefore again groaned in himself. Coming to the grave, it was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha said, oh boy. This man was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been there for four days. He was good and dead. There was no question. There wasn't a swoon factor here. This man was dead. Then took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and saith, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I know that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus spoke, he cried with a loud voice. He cried with a loud voice, and he said, Lazarus, Come forth. If he didn't say, Lazarus, come forth, the resurrection of life would have emptied that graveyard right there. And they said, oh, could you be a little more specific? Well, yes, he was very specific. Lazarus, come forth. And that man came forth. And then Lazarus just jumped for joy. He was just full of joy and happiness, and he was just dancing around, and, and everybody wanted to know where he was. No, none of that. It is amazing to me to say that that Lazarus never says anything is recorded in the scriptures. Never. You'd think if anyone, this guy would surely have plenty to say. He'd been there and come back. He needs to write a book. He didn't write no books, did he? And it says... And many of the Jews which came to Mary had seen the thing which Jesus did. They believed on him. That's group number one, the believers. Now, let me tell you, it cost them something. Don't think that this was just, oh, boy, you know, I think I'm going to join this group over here. This is a great group. They're going in the right direction. They seem to know where they're going. I'm going to join this group. No, that's not the way it worked because uh, the Pharisees and the, the Jewish leaders that time already put out a mandate. You see anyone following the Lord Jesus Christ, you bring them to us. 
because they're going to be thrown out of synagogue. Now, I think they probably did a few more things than just throwing them out of synagogue. Because we, have, we have evidence of that later on with Paul. So you are going to pay a dear price. If you were going to throw in your lot with the Lord Jesus Christ, you were going to pay a dear price. And these were believers. They ended up paying a dear price. But then there's verse number 46. But some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Now, I'm going to explain the last group next because it's the Pharisees. Absolute open rebellion. They, it wouldn't have mattered if Jesus would have moved heaven and earth. It wouldn't have mattered. They were absolutely in rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, if he did all these grand miracles, how in the world can they turn right around and want to execute him? Later on in, in, in the next chapter, they're not only going to want to execute him, they want to execute Lazarus as well because Lazarus was a standing testimony to the resurrection that the Lord Jesus Christ offered through himself. Why? I believe they had a real affiliation with Satan himself. In an unbelievable way, they had given themselves over. This is a dangerous thing. It is absolutely dangerous. And it wouldn't have mattered what the Lord Jesus Christ did. They were going to rebel against his ministry. But this second group, those individuals that went back to the Pharisees said, Oh, boy, you should have seen what I seen. This was unbelievable. That man was dead and stinking in that tomb. And he went in there and he called into death. And death came forth and and there was life, you see. These could be considered the nominal believers. Those who give a, a certain assent to the truth. So to speak, those who you may go to and you may say, are you, are you born again? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ in person? Yes, 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 yes. And they go on living just exactly the way they did before they ever made or let eyes on you. There's a certain assent to the truth, but there's no reality. Basically, what they're saying is this. Listen, I like the miracles. I'm I'm intrigued by the miracles. They are really wonderful. The things that you're doing are just beyond imagination. I like all that. But you're asking me to give up the controls of my life. No. I will not do that. The Lord said some hard sayings earlier on, John, didn't he? Got to eat my flesh, drink my blood. And there was that group, wasn't there? That group that came and said, oh, these, these things are too hard. These things are too hard. Oh, no, 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 no. You've gone too far now. What the Lord was saying was, you throw your lot in unto me. I take control of your life. By the Holy Spirit, I'm going to begin to guide, guide your life. And they said, no, 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 no. Do I believe in Christ? Oh, boy, it's all the miracles. They're tremendous. I mean, yeah, I, I believe in Christ. Yeah. And then I go on living just exactly the way I did before I said I believed in Christ. There's no difference. Now, they might believe in Christ. I'm not the judge of that. The judge of all the earth. He does right. I'll let him make the judgment on that. But what you're saying is that I'm believing in what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, and it can have no effect on my life whatsoever. None whatsoever. I go about running my own show. I still got the control. I'm still making the decisions here. That's the second group. There were the believers, 
And then there were the unbelievable rebels. And then you have this second group. Which one's more dangerous? Well, we know the believers. They're not dangerous. You say, well, the rebels. I don't think so. I don't think so. You know where the rebels stand. The danger comes when you don't know where they stand. That's the danger. And I fear that many may end up in a place that was only really designed for Satan and his angels. It really wasn't designed for any human beings, but they may end up there anyway because they were not willing to give the controls of their life over to the Lord. Here's the invitation. It's a gospel message right here. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he gives the invitation. Do you believe this? He's giving an invitation today. Do you believe this? We can believe all day that he was son of man. We've got plenty of people out there that believe that. Islam believes he was son of man. He's right there in their books. But do you believe he's son of God? Oh, yeah. And if he's son of God, then I'll have nothing less than to take on to himself the controls of your life. And if you're not willing to give them, then what you fall into is this second group. Be careful. Be careful. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Our Father, we are so thankful that the invitation was given on numerous occasions by the Lord himself. We hear the words of Scripture which are so clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life and will not die. Oh, Father, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that we have a reason to live, a purpose in our very being if we put our faith and trust in the life giver, the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We thank you that he is indeed the resurrection and the life. It's in his name we do pray. Amen.